for letting God use you to bring us all into his presence in that time. His way is better. I'm going to have that in my head and my heart all week long. Thank you all for leading us. As Pastor mentioned, I'm going to pick up or end our series, Love First. If you've been with us, you remember that he began asking that question of what is most important from Mark chapter 12. And do you remember what was the answer to that? What's most important is loving God with all of what? All of our heart and all of our strength, all of our soul, all of our mind. And then the next uh, week we talked about what's your motive from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And that love is to be the motivation for all the things that we do. And then last week, Pastor taught us about the effect of intimacy, of intimacy with God. And one of the powerful things that he said is that that intimacy, it emanates every place that we go. Once we know God, it emanates in all the places that God sends us to go. Well, we're going to end today that this series talking about just the simple idea of loving our neighbor. Loving our neighbor. And it's from a passage that might be familiar in Luke chapter 10. Verses 25 to 37, a very familiar story where Jesus powerfully challenges us to love our neighbor. Now, just before I read the text, just to set the context, a few verses earlier in Luke 10, Jesus is sharing with his disciples. He's rejoicing at the ministry that they've done of how the Holy Spirit has moved to defeat the works of Satan in their ministry. And he says, the Lord loves to reveal the secret things, the things of God, not to the quote-unquote wise and learned, those that might think they are, according to the world's standards, but according to what Jesus calls little children, disciples of His. And so when we come to this passage in Luke 10, Jesus is interacting with somebody that we would put in that category that Jesus calls the wise and understanding, who think that they know the way of God, but Jesus is about to lead him in the better way. So hear the reading of God's word, beginning with verse 25. And behold, a lawyer, and this is an expert in biblical law, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he turned, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three 
do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is God's word. Let's go to God together in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for the privilege of getting to preach it. Thank you for the privilege of, of hearing it. And, and we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We also want to be doers of the word. Help teach us right now to love our neighbor. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place on the Shaw campus and all the places where we're gathered online to watch. And we pray that you might help us understand these powerful words from Jesus that we read. But not only that, we also want you to fill us with yourself. Fill this place, fill these people with yourself so that we can live and walk in light of the call that you give us. So we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I wonder if some of you remember growing up as a kid and watching this television show. You can put up that first picture. And then at the, it says, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Could you be my? Would you be my? Would you be my? My neighbor. Mr. Robinson's neighborhood. How many of y'all remember that? Kid, you can look it up on YouTube, all right? Ask your parents about it or, or grandparents if they see it. And some of you will remember that there was another show on, or, or a skit rather, on Saturday Night Live that was kind of a parody of that. You can put up that next picture. And that was called Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, slightly different, but a parody along that same idea. Well, just a couple of years ago, there's a movie that came out called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood on the life of Mr. Rogers, starring Tom Hanks. And actually, it was an excellent movie. And you go and you see that, and what you find is there's really the, the, the main character of the movie is a reporter for Esquire magazine who's required to go and interview Mr. Rogers for an article talking about real heroes. And he's skeptical, right? He's saying there's nobody that could really be this good. There's nobody that can really be that, that nice. There's nobody that could really be loving their neighbor all the time. And so he watched and watched and he talked and talked with Mr. Rogers and he found out a lot of different things. One thing he found out is that this wasn't fake. This was real. This was a man that truly loved his neighbor. And not only did he learn that that was real about Mr. Rogers, but it impacted his own heart and his own life through just an ordinary man who wanted to heed the command of Jesus to simply love his neighbor. And that is the call that Jesus gives in this passage to the expert in the law, but really to all the people of God, all of the people of God are the audience of this, this call to love our neighbors. Could you imagine with me, what would our world be like if we heeded this call? How would that affect the, the political climate in our world if we loved our neighbors? How would it affect what we read or maybe what we write on social media if we were loving our neighbors? How would it feel, how, we, how would it affect how we dealt with our own family, our own community, our workplace, our school? What difference would it make if we were a people that were truly loving our neighbors? What difference would it make among the church with churches loving one another and working together if we heeded this call to loving our neighbors? 
So I know you know this, but how do we grow in this more? How does Jesus help us to grow more in being a people that love our neighbor? Oops. Not by tripping over the rug. But we want to look at just three questions that this text poses to us to help us grow more and more into a people that love our neighbor. And the first question is this, and that is where are we seeking our justification? Where are we seeking our justification? I'll explain that as we go through what, what that means. We heard in verse 29, the, the expert in the law said, he asked the question, who's my neighbor, in order to justify himself. So let's backtrack a little bit. Verse 25, let's go back to that again. Behold, a lawyer, and again, this is an expert in biblical law, the law of Moses. He stood up to put him to the test. And y'all see that phrase that's translated, put him to the test? That's the same phrase or the same word that's used in Luke chapter 4 or Matthew chapter 4 when Satan is tempting Jesus in the wilderness. So that gives you some idea of the spirit with which this man is coming to Jesus. And so how does he put Jesus to the test? Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, why would he be trying to put Jesus to the test? Because he's saying, wait a minute, this is a guy that says he follows the law of God but yet, look at who he hangs out with. He hangs out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And so he can't be serious about the law of God. And so he's trying to expose Jesus as not really being a man of God. So he asks him that question. And how does Jesus answer that? He said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? In essence, he says to him, have you read the constructions? And you got to go back to the message last week and you'll get that. How do you read it? And in verse 27, this man quotes, and this is actually a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Right? This is, this is great. He's got it, right? But it doesn't end there. Next verse. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But then verse 29 it says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, what does he mean? What does it mean to try to justify yourself? Really, in a biblical sense, it means to be declared righteous before God. If you think about that in a negative sense, it means he's trying to get over. Now, let me illustrate what I mean. Now, I, this is going to be really nerdy, but I'll share this with you. Do y'all know what my favorite TV show was as a kid? Not Mr. Rogers. It was actually Monday Night Football. Is that kind of nerdy to say that? It actually was. And I would have the privilege to stay up until halftime. And then there, this is way back in the day, right? This is before ESPN and all of that stuff. So if you wanted to see the highlights from the previous day, you would stay up till halftime on Monday night and they would show them all. Can you imagine a world like that? You have to wait a whole day to see something that you want to see. Well, anyway, one Monday I got in trouble at school. And my mom said, you're not going to be able to watch Monday Night Football tonight. That is your punishment. And I was just, just distraught. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I came up with an idea. And so when Monday Night Football came on, I went and I sat in our living room with my back to the television. And my mom was like, what are you doing? And I said, nothing, Mom. I'm not watching TV. I'm watching the China cabinet. I'm watching the reflection. I'm listening to the TV. 
She said, fool, get out of here. What's wrong with you? Right? I'm trying to follow the letter of the law, right? And that is exactly the same thing that this guy in the story is trying to do when he says, who is my neighbor? What's implied in that is he's got some neighbors he wants to love, but what else? Some others he doesn't want to love. And rather than change his treatment of his neighbor, he wants to change the definition of neighbor. To be able to say, I'm following the law of God, and yet I still don't have to love those people. He's trying to justify himself. Now, where do we really find our justification? And I put up this theological question. What is justification? And it's an amazing, it's an amazing promise, a gift from God. What is it? It's an act of God's free grace. Where this is what he does. He pardons all of our sins. But not just that. He doesn't just declare you not guilty. He declares you righteous. Because of what? The righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us. And not because of anything that we do, but it's received by what? By faith alone in Jesus Christ. What an amazing gift that God gives. But where was this man seeking his justification? In his own ability to be able to follow the law. And so rather than surrender to Jesus, he, he, he tries to change around the definition of the command so that he can live up to it. And so that begs the question for us, where are we trying to do the same thing? Where might we be seeking our justification in the wrong place and not in Christ? Do you know what finding it in Christ does is it frees us. It frees us from our defensiveness. It frees us to be able to look at ourselves honestly and say, you know what, show me, show me what's wrong and change me, God, when it's found in Christ. But when we're trying to find it in something else, we will defend ourselves until the end. That's really, you say, well, how do I know if I'm trying to seek my justification in the wrong thing? What do you get most defensive about? That's usually where I can tell for myself. Where are we seeking our justification today? That's the first question this poses. Let's move on to the second. The second question is, who are our Samaritans? Who are our Samaritans? And again, this will make sense as we get through the story a little bit more. I love what Jesus does here, and he doesn't get into a theological debate. What he does is he tells a story to the man when he asks that question. And it's taken right from real life there in verse 30. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and he, who stripped him, and they beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And can you put up that picture? That's, this is the, the real road to Jericho. You can see that there's lots of places where enemies can hide and ambush. They used to call this route the bloody way. Do you know places where people are like, you, you don't want to go there at night? Right? You don't want to be in that place. This was one of those places. And so Jesus is taking this right from real life. But then what does he say in verse 31 as he tells a story? Now by chance a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, just for a second you might get a glimmer of hope. But then he says, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now it doesn't say why he passed by. Maybe he was afraid. 
Maybe he thought it was a trap and, and somebody was waiting to ambush him. And maybe he thought the robbers were still close by. Or maybe he's on his way to the temple and he doesn't want to be declared unclean if he touches a dead body. It doesn't say why he passes by, but just that he does. There's a man in need that needs help or he's going to die. But the priest passes by on the other side. Well, the next verse, 32 so likewise, a Levite, and that's someone that would assist the priest in the temple. It says, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. And then here's the dramatic turn of the story in verse 33. But a Samaritan, and that's a religious and a racial outsider, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had a different reaction to what he saw, didn't he? It says that he had compassion. And then in the next verse, you see that, that that compassion moved him to action. It says he went to him and, and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, trying to bring healing to that man's wounds. But he doesn't stop there. It says then he set him on his own animal, which means now he's got to do what? He's walking. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. But it doesn't stop there. Next verse. The next day. He took out two denarii, that's two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Amazing, amazing display of love. This Samaritan, a racial and a religious outsider, is the one who fulfills the requirements of the law and shows us what it means to love our neighbors. Amazing. But y'all, you know what? Jesus is after a little bit more in this passage. He's, he's meddling, as some of the older folks, as we used to say. What do I mean? He's getting at something. I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of that expert in the law. And you hear Jesus telling that story. All right, a man is, is beaten and left for dead by the side of the road. And then a priest comes along and sees him, and he passes by on the other side. And then a Levite comes and sees him, and he passes by on the other side. What you're expecting Jesus to say next is somebody like you comes along and saves the day and helps this man in need. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? What does Jesus say? But a Samaritan. When he said that, the guy would have been like, some of what? Because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They couldn't stand each other. And what Jesus is doing is he's getting after that. He's getting after the heart in that expert in the law. How? By making the hated one the hero of the story. Now, I told you Monday Night Football was my favorite show. My second favorite was this next picture. Some of you remember that show, The Jeffersons. You can look this up on YouTube or TV Land or something like that. You remember it's about George Jefferson, this... Man, tough, little, and, and loudmouth, who worked and worked and worked till he got a deluxe apartment in the sky. And he made it. But there's one particular episode where George and his friends are, are looking and they get these flyers. And the flyers are inviting people to come to a community meeting in their building. It's saying, we need to do something about the crime and the riffraff in the building. Come together and see what we can do. And they read it and they go, yeah, we got to go to this meeting. But what they don't realize is that it's a meeting of the Ku Klux Klan. 
that's happening in that building. But it's, it's kind of undercover. And so they, they decide they're going to go. So George's friends get there first. George is a little bit late. And he walks in and the only seat available is right in the very front row. And George comes and walks and sits in the front. And the clan leader is looking at his assistant like, what in the world is going on here? And George is like, go ahead, go ahead and talk. Go on now. And so the guy begins to talk. He says, we've got to do something about the riffraff in this building. George says, amen. These people are driving down our property zone. we got to get rid of them. Yes, that's right. And the clan leader looks at George and says, I'm talking about you. This is a clan leader. And George is like, what? And y'all know George if you watch the show. He gets up and he's ready to fight. And his friends are holding him back and they're arguing back and forth. And then all of a sudden the leader begins to grab his arm and he wobbles and he faints. They're on the stage. And his son comes over and he says, he's... It's his heart. It's his heart. Is there anybody here that, that can administer CPR? And they're looking around and nobody is saying anything, but there's one person in the room that does know CPR. Guess who it is? And George steps forward and gets down and administers mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation to the clan leader and saves his life. And then in the last scene of that show, the, the paramedics have come and they've got the clan leader on a gurney and he begins to become conscious again. And his son tells him what happened and he said, Mr. Jefferson saved your life. And he's just shocked and he looks over at George and he looks back, he says, him? He saved my life? You should have let me die. And then they wheel him out of the room. And the leader's assistant wants to continue the clan meeting. But everybody else gets up and walks out. Because they've seen what happened. They've been exposed by the hated one, George, becoming the hero. And that's what Jesus does in this story. By making the hated one, the Samaritan, the hero of the story. He's forcing that expert in the law to look at his own heart. And so now let's come back to our question. That is, who are our Samaritans? Who are the ones for us? That if Jesus was telling us that story, we say, no, Jesus, not them. They couldn't possibly be the hero of the story. Who would that be for you? might be somebody of another race or somebody of another generation, somebody of another gender or orientation, somebody of another political party, somebody from another part of the country. I don't, I don't know what it is. But who would it be for you? Who do you have the most trouble thinking of as your neighbors? Who are the most, or the people you have the most trouble with loving? Now, let me ask you, is the expert in the law in a bad place right here? Actually, he's in the best place. Because he's in the hands of the great physician, Jesus Christ. Who's able to not only identify the hatred in his heart, but he's able to change it. 
mindful of those words of David at the end of Psalm 139 as we think about that for ourselves. And this would be a great prayer for us to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, and he will. What did we just sing about? He's going to show us the better way. Who are our Samaritans? Deal with us on that, Jesus. And so let's go to the last point. We've asked where are we seeking our justification and who are our Samaritans? Lastly and quite simply, how do we go and do likewise? How do we go and do likewise? That comes here at the end. Look at verse 36. Here Jesus issues the challenge. Which of these three, after he tells that story, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Do y'all see what Jesus did? Do you remember verse 29? What was the question the guy asked Jesus? Who is, who is my neighbor? But look at what Jesus does in this verse. He says, which one proved to be a neighbor? Jesus changed it around. Jesus turned neighbor from just being a noun to being a verb. Which one neighbored? Which one loved his neighbor? And look at verse 37, our last verse. The guy got it, right? He says, the one who showed him mercy. Isn't it interesting? He can't even say the Samaritan. But he got the point, didn't he? The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go. And you do likewise. And that is the call to us, brothers and sisters, that we would go. And that we would do likewise. What might that look like for us? Well, what did the man do? What did the, the Samaritan do? Well, there's a couple things we see here. First, his heart went out to the man. Do you see that? It's a man of another race, man that maybe didn't talk to him, but a man he saw that's made in the image of God. And his heart went out to him. What about the people around us? You can put up that next picture. This is a picture of Dr. King from April 3rd, 1968. That's the night before he was assassinated. And he's speaking in Memphis, Tennessee at a rally for sanitation workers in, in that city who are being treated unjustly. And he's calling the people to, to stand with them and to support them. And in the, everybody knows the end of that speech, right? It's, I've been to the mountaintop and it's a powerful speech. But if you get to about 15 minutes before the end, he does a masterful job talking about this same story that we're looking at today. And he says, the priest and the Levites saw that man in the middle of the road and they said to themselves, if we stop to help this man, what's going to happen to us? But then he said, the Samaritan reversed the question. And he said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And then he challenged the people with the same. He said, that's the question before us tonight. We're called to reverse the question. The question to us is not if we stop to help the sanitation workers. What's going to happen to me? The question is, if I do not stop to help these people in need, what's going to happen to them? And our call is to reverse the question. As we think about the people around us, among us in need, whatever that is, whether it's spiritual need, physical need, a need for justice, a need for friendship, 
emotional or psychological need. The question for us is not if we stop to help them, what's going to happen to us? The question is if we do not stop, what's going to happen to them? Our hearts must go out to the people around us, whether that's here in University City or in the West End or wherever it is that God has placed us. So, But not only did he work with his heart, he also worked with his hands, didn't he? His heart moved him to action. And he gave as much as he had until that man's need was met. Isn't it interesting? The lawyer is like, what's the least I have to do to be able to say I'm following the law? And the Samaritan is like, what's the most I can do to be able to do that? And so what, how do we apply that? Well, one is to think about the needs of the place around us. Whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in our community, whether it's in our city, whether it's in our own family. To look outward, but then also to look inward. To say, what has God given me to be able to bring to bear on those needs? Now, do you notice that the Samaritan didn't do everything? Right? He had to leave and he still left. And so that's for some of us that are like me to think we can do everything. But he's to be able to say, well, what has God given me? How can God use what he's given me to be able to be a blessing? That's how we go and do likewise. What might that mean for you today? What might it mean for us as churches to continue to do that? And how do we go and do likewise? And when, what I mean by that is not practically, but I mean how do we do that? Where do we find the power to be able to go and do likewise? Right? Because I know y'all, right? You're already out there. You're already working hard. You're already in people's lives. You're already engaged. But what about when you get weary? Where do you find strength when you're weary? Where do you find encouragement when you're ready to give up? Where do you find hope when you get disappointed and discouraged? You look beyond yourself to the one true good Samaritan, yeah. Jesus Christ. Fixing your eyes upon him. Now listen, where do you see yourself when you look at this story? Right? We like to see ourselves in the role of the hero. But you know where we are? We're the one left for dead right in the middle of the road. In fact, we're worse than the man in the story. Because he's only halfway dead. We were all the way dead. Before the one true good Samaritan, Jesus Christ came and didn't just have his heart broken for us, but his body was broken for us. He didn't just have his oil poured out for us, but his own precious blood was poured out for us. He didn't come just at the risk of his life. He came at the cost of his life. Do you realize today that Jesus Christ reversed the question for you? That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus looked at you and your situation. And he didn't say to himself, oh, if I stop to help them, what's going to happen to me? He said, oh, if I do not stop to help them, what's going to happen to him, to them? And he knew very well what would happen to him. He knew it meant a Roman cross, paying for all of our sins of omission and commission. And yet the Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning his shame and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God where you know what he does he lives to intercede for us you're not alone 
the greatest prayer warrior ever is interceding for us that we might be a people who've been loved by the one true good Samaritan who would now love our neighbors with that same love that we have received and that we continue to receive from him. May God do that through us for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the one true good Samaritan, Jesus Christ. The one who, whose heart broke for us. And the one who gave until our need was met. And the one who hasn't abandoned us, but he's still with us. Still praying for us, still interceding. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in us and with us. We pray that you might empower us more and more to be a people that love our neighbor in whatever ways that looks like on our job, in our class, in our street, in our home, in this city, in the world. Continue to do it for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name.